Okay. Welcome to this session. I'm not sure why you would choose it, but uh, uh, it is uh, something that uh, has become more and more necessary in our ministry environments. And uh, so I hope it can be a help to you, a blessing to you. Should have some notes there for you to follow along. And I put a lot of detail into the notes because a lot of this information um, may be something that you want to take back uh, to your ministry and share with those that uh, may have uh, some influence with respect to human resources and training. And uh, so these things are becoming vital uh, in our ministry environments today. So let's have a word of prayer and uh, we'll jump in. Father, thank you for all that we've heard even today already. And uh, Lord, we uh, pray that you'd help us to assimilate, process all these things that we're hearing and our hearts are sensing from your Holy Spirit. And may we not uh, go from one session to the other and leave behind those things that you're impressing upon our hearts to act upon. And Lord, uh, I know this session is not something that I necessarily enjoy teaching, uh, but has become uh, a very uh, essential part of how we operate a ministry in today's culture that is so filled with um, problems and, and uh, accusational threats and things of that nature. And we, Lord, want to preserve the ministry name and uh, most of all your name, as we heard a moment ago, that you might be glorified in all that we do and say. And so uh, guide us, we pray. Thank you for these delegates that are here and may it be profitable to them, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. I think in the notes you have 1 Peter chapter 5, and I want to launch from that passage of Scripture. God's Word has everything in it that we need for life and godliness, and so regardless of the topic that we address, uh, God's Word has some answers, doesn't it? And uh, thankful for that, that uh, God guides us, gives us principles by which we can live. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, if you'll notice verse number 8, Peter writes, Finally, be all of one mind. Have compassion one of another, love as brethren, be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrawise blessing, knowing that you are thereunto called, that you should inherit a blessing. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and his ears open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Now, in a general way, uh, improper behavior in any environment, but especially in a ministry workplace, has three very negative consequences. First of all, it damages your testimony as a, as a Christian. And uh, we certainly were uh, challenged with that in the last hour, that everything that we do has the potential to either ruin us or to allow us to be used by God. And so we must be careful individually. And uh, we recognize the fact that any temptation can lead down a road that could cause our own personal testimony to be at risk. Secondly, improper behavior in a workplace does great harm to the body of Christ. Uh, if you are serving in a ministry, whether on staff as a paid person or whether as a volunteer, you represent that ministry. And everything that you do, everything that I do, has the potential to bring harm to that ministry and bring damage to its ability to reach a community for Christ. I recall years ago, my wife and I were part of a church where uh, a girl um, who was about 12 at the time accused our pastor of sexual molestation. And of course, in those situations, the child is believed immediately, and that was the case there. And our pastor went to jail. 
Three years later in a courtroom at age, I think, 16 or so, 15 or 16, that girl admitted that everything she had said over the last three years was a lie. But by that time, our church, you know, it's hard to go soul winning when your pastor's in jail because everybody in town knows that. Front page news. And so we have to understand that even an accusation sometimes against someone in the, in the ministry workplace can do great damage to the ministry. And I think that's why God says abstain from all appearance of evil because even uh, a false accusation can do harm uh, to our lives but also then to the body of Christ. And it certainly jeopardizes the church's uh, responsibility to reach the lost. Our credibility, our ability to share the message that we have of the gospel is certainly hindered when there's an improper behavior. Now, specifically, speaking in the context of the local church, improper behavior hijacks the mission of the ministry as our purpose is to turn people from darkness to light. So when sin is going on in the ministry, when there's something taking place within the context of ministry that is wrong according to the word of God, it, it hijacks our whole ministry because our ministry is to bring people out of darkness into light. Secondly, it hurts the morale of the ministry because when one member suffers, all the members suffer. So if, if one person is the weak link, so to speak, well, the whole chain is weak, right? And so the morale of the ministry suffers when one person is out of tune. And then thirdly, it hinders the recruitment and the retention of the ministry because no one is drawn to a religious organization that is no different than what they experience in the world. If people come to church and they're treated in an improper way just as they are out in the world, why do they want to come to church? Why would anybody want to work in a ministry where the same things go on in the workplace at a church that go on in the world? And so it, it hinders our ability to have good people working in the ministry. So let me walk through some things that may be new to you. It certainly was, a lot of these things were new to me a few years ago when I was tasked in our ministry here to uh, lead some discussion and pr prepare some materials that were required by law. And uh, <laughs> this is not something that I dreamed of doing uh, as a, a college graduate, <laughs> you know, thought, man, one day I'm going to be making uh, sexual harassment videos to help our staff. Um, wasn't something I dreamed of doing as I uh, was traveling the country in evangelism. I uh, never thought I would be dealing with these kinds of things uh, in a church environment. But our culture, come on in folks, grab a seat anywhere, be fine. You won't disturb me by walking up and get a seat. Uh, these things are real today in our culture, and so we need to be aware of them. First of, all, first of all, let's get a little cultural context. How many of you are from California? You minister in California? Okay, about probably half. The rest of you um, from other places. Here in the state of California, as of January 1, 2021, any ministry with more than five employees or volunteers is required to provide two hours of sexual harassment and abusive conduct training for all new employer, employees within the first six months of their start date, and then a review of that material every two years thereafter going forward. That's the law. Now, when that came across our ministry, our radar, we thought, well, what are we going to teach for two hours on these subjects? Well, the state of California put out a number of materials, things that uh, they um, put out in various video forms and written forms that uh, any company or any ministry, et cetera, could follow in order to uh, meet the standard of the law. Of course, it was done in a very secular uh, fashion. It was not something that uh, we would show in a ministry environment. And so when our HR department began to look at these things, um, our HR director, she said, I, I don't even want to study this stuff. Uh, I don't even want to bring this into my mind. I, I don't want to have to deal with these things. And, and certainly, she did not feel like she was in a position to 
train our entire staff of 300 people and plus, you know, volunteers and so on. Uh, so it kind of got bounced around a little bit. And you know, on the college side, we had as a part of our strategic plan uh, several years before this that uh, we needed to provide some training uh, with respect to our teachers and so on uh, on these subjects. And uh, so I guess that's how it, it landed on me. So I was tasked with this assignment of preparing some materials. I studied the laws, the requirements for the training that needed to be met, and put together seven modules that we put on a uh, video format, a platform of, of uh, like we do our online classes, put it onto a Canvas kind of a class platform, and created these seven modules. They were about, um, about an hour, I think, each. Uh, that our employees then would be required to watch. The law required that they have tests, uh, that they participate in some assignments as well uh, to uh, round out this, this training. These, uh, these videos then would uh, uh, inform them with respect to what the laws state, uh, how they were to respond in certain situations, uh, alerting leaders as well as victims of consequences, and uh, so that material was rolled out uh, shortly before the law was enacted. And we have, uh, since that time, uh, used those instructional um, videos to help our staff as they, as they onboard into a staff position, and also a number of our church volunteers. So the question then is, well, what is sexual harassment? Uh, if we're going to teach people, you know, obviously what the law states and uh, protect the ministry and protect uh, individuals as well, what is sexual harassment? How does the law define that? By the way, if you're not from California, um, usually what starts in California spreads other places. And so if, this is not, if these are not the laws in your state, I would uh, guess that they're probably coming to your state uh, soon. Um, as things tend to kind of go west to east, uh, as we know in politics and, and uh, things of this nature. Uh, and you might want to check with uh, um, your state to see if there are such laws, because ignorance is not, is not an excuse uh, if you're required to have it. So here in California, and again, I'm, I'm presenting all of this material from a California perspective, because I've not studied the, the laws or statutes in your particular state or area. But here in California, Title VII, uh, and I quote, sexual harassment, unwelcome sexual advances, requests for sexual favors, other verbal or physical contact of sexual nature constitutes sexual harassment when this conduct explicitly or implicitly affects an individual's employment unreasonably interferes with an individual's work performance or creates an intimidating, hostile, or offensive work environment. That's what Title VII reads, and so uh, that's what they define sexual harassment as. Now, uh, you look at that or kind of read that and think about it, it's, it's pretty broad. Um, it, it's, it's not maybe as specific as we might like it to be. Uh, it certainly is, there's a lot of room for some interpretation there on the part of the victim and certainly on the part of the courts. Well, who's protected from this law uh, or by this law? Who is the, what is the law trying to accomplish? Sometimes laws are, are um, solutions looking for a problem, you know, <laughs> and uh, sometimes people write laws in, in, in legislative houses and you're thinking, well, what's the problem? In other words, why would they have a law like that? Do you know there's a law in the books in Kentucky that it's illegal to have an ice cream cone in your pocket? Now, why would they ever make a law like that? That's just common sense, right? There's another law in one state that says it's illegal to frown at a dog. And you're like, well, I never was even tempted to frown at a dog. So I'm not sure where some of these laws come from. But it's kind of funny to read some of the ridiculous laws that maybe are made. And so... Who are they trying to protect? And obviously, we live in a world that's very sexually charged. We live in a world where there's a lot of uh, things in people's minds and so on, as we, we heard in the last hour. We all face some of these temptations because of, of the environment in which we live. So 
what is the protection? Who are they trying to protect? Employees, applicants, contractors, anybody that's coming to your church ministry to maybe fix the plumbing or fix a copier or something of that nature, a contractor, volunteers. And again, many of our ministries use a large host of volunteers. A lot of people come out to uh, maybe uh, ready a, um, a program or uh, ready a meal or something like that for a big day. Or we might have people come for a work day, you know, to provide, uh, you know, uh, painting or uh, sprucing up the grounds or whatever. So uh, volunteers, unpaid interns uh, would be included in this and any board members as well. So those are the people they are protecting with these laws. Who's liable under the law? Who is, who is the possible offender? Employers, prospective employers, agents such as a board member or volunteer who's been invested with authority. Anybody that would be considered a supervisor. So if you have even a lay person in your church who's been tasked to be the bus captain, okay, and you have some um, people on that bus route with him, those people are protected by the law. He is liable as someone who could break the law, right, as the, as the bus captain. So, again, none of these people may be paid, uh, but they are still a part of your ministry, and thus, if something were to happen in a negative way, your ministry could be dragged down or your name could be ruined. So uh, very important to understand uh, both sides of this law. Well, what does sexual harassment look like? You've probably heard the term quid pro quo. Um, we've heard some of that in the news more recently. But quid pro quo, it is Latin for this for that. In other words, it is, it is receiving some favor for something else. Maybe there's a threat, and if you obey the threat, you will get this. In other words, it's a this for that. Uh, so there's, there's, uh, this is the basis, really, of the law. Demanding sexual favors in exchange for employment benefits or demanding sexual favors by threatening negative employment actions, such as a loss of employment or pay reduction. So the quid pro quo, and that, that comes up often in the laws, in the cases uh, that are studied. So there be what is then hostile work environment, because this training, uh, you know, the sexual harassment part, okay, that's probably a little easier to understand. Um, we know as Christians that's not to take place, um, and, and we, would, we would recognize that if we saw it, probably. But what about this hostile work environment? Because that's part of this law as well, a hostile work environment. I mean, they gave me too much to do, right? <laughs> you know, I think I should report my pastor. He gave me too much to do. Uh, that's a hostile work environment, right? Well, not exactly. Uh, here's what they would uh, say. Inappropriate speech or conduct that a reasonable person, that word reasonable is used a lot, would find hostile, offensive, and unrelated to the legitimate business of the organization. To prove legally a hostile work environment, the complainant does not need to prove that they suffered an adverse employment action. So someone could complain simply about um, something offensive that was said to them, even though it may not have... Um, you know, uh, if they complained about it, cost them their job or being demoted or anything like that. Um, anything that would be reasonable, as they say, uh, that would seem like a threat or, or, or along those lines. So they kind of expand this, and, and I've kind of given you a few uh, thoughts here. The definition of an unwelcome conduct. Um, an unwelcome conduct is something that's not requested, it's not appreciated, it's not reciprocated. 
Um, again, let's be honest, in human relationships, sometimes we kid each other, right? We, we might, you know, we're good friends in the ministry, we, we develop friendships in the ministry, and uh, maybe we, you know, give each other a hard time about our sports team. Hey, your team lost again, you know, or whatever. And there's, there's that, that bantering back and forth. Or, you know, maybe close friends would even uh, make fun of each other in some way. Uh, again, I think we need to be careful about that uh, because um, the law doesn't look at, well, I was just kidding. They don't, they don't look at it that way. In other words, well, you know, I didn't mean that. Um, so maybe we might think, well, in my close um, affiliation with a staff member who's a, you know, another assistant pastor, I'm an assistant pastor, we joke around, uh, you know, I make fun of his car or he makes fun of my hair or, you know, whatever. Uh, we would all say that's just kind of a give and a take, but we got to be careful about that kind of a spirit or an attitude on a staff because uh, you might make fun of someone's looks or the way they're dressed that day. And they could take that as a hostile work environment. Hopefully we don't have people that are on our staff just looking for an opportunity to get us in trouble. But at the same time, the, the, the laws uh, look at it that way. Not requested, not appreciated, not reciprocated. Uh, three forms of hostile work environment. Uh, first deals with visual. Leering, staring, Sexual gesturing, displaying of sexually explicit material, sending graphic or inappropriate texts and emails, joking about sexual matters. Now again, in ministry today, a lot of communication takes place through uh, technology, doesn't it? A lot of it is, is not as face-to-face -face as it once was. So please understand that that's not always the best way to communicate uh, because you don't know what the reaction is to your email. You don't, you don't know how they're responding to that text. In other words, in your mind, oh, I was just joking. Well, you can kind of tell that if you're face-to-face. -face. You know, you got a little twinkle in your eye or a little, you know, smirk on your face when you said something tongue-in-cheek, we might say. But nobody can read that in an email or a text. So... One thing I would caution you, and Pastor Chapel has instructed our staff about when to use technology in communication and when not to. There are times certainly where a text or an email doesn't accomplish what we want it to accomplish uh, for more reasons than one. But in this particular aspect, be real careful how you communicate uh, certain information over a text or an email because that can easily be taken wrong. And, uh, and you may not know that until, you know, you're, you're in trouble. So visual. Secondly, verbal. Foul or obscene language, derogatory comments, explicit sexual discussions, comments about someone's appearance or the giving of nicknames to describe someone's appearance. So verbal. And then physical, a little more obvious, kissing, hugging, massaging, grabbing, impeding or blocking movement, and of course, assault. Now, in a lawsuit, the court will consider the following. This is all laid out in the California uh, information on the law, but they will look at the nature of the conduct. In other words, what actually happened? And if you get involved in something that where there's an accusation, you want to get as much information as you can from the, the complainant, the person who is making the accusation. Uh, get as much information as you can because the law is going to look at the nature of it. Secondly, they're going to look at the frequency of the conduct. Is this something that's been going on? If the complaint says, you know, they, you know several times this has happened, or I, I told them not to say that, and they keep saying it, okay? So the law is going to look at that frequency. Thirdly, they're going to look at the period of time over which the conduct occurred. Uh, so is this a, you know, maybe it was done several times, but in the course of three days, or it could be going on several times over the course of a year. So we're going to look at the space of time. Fourthly, whether the conduct was physically threatening or humiliating. 
And fifth, to the, ex to, the, to the extent to which the conduct unreasonably interfered with an employee's work performance. And again, um, let, let's say that you um, jokingly or, or made fun of someone's weight, okay? Well, you might have just said something in passing or you said something derogatory in that way. And as a result, that person, I mean, they, they couldn't get it out of their mind. Now it's, now it's affecting their work performance. It's affecting them when they go home. It's affecting them when they come back. They don't want to come to work, et cetera. Of course, going to look at that very carefully because you've impeded their ability to do the job that they were hired to do. So that's kind of the way the law lays out. And uh, here in California, and like I said, your law, your, your state, your area may have some lesser um, areas of concern, maybe something greater. Uh, I have a feeling this is going to become more federal uh, in the years to come. Number two, some cardinal commands. While the laws of the land should keep us accountable in both our personal and professional lives, as God's people, we have an accountability to God that should far exceed a government law or even a ministry policy. I think that's, that's so important for us to understand in this room, that if we're going to please God, if we're going to glorify God, as we heard this morning, we've got to have something a little bit higher than the government standard, right? I mean, we should, we should be above reproach. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about a lot in the college recently is our, our, with our accreditation, we don't want to just meet the standard uh, the minimum standard of accreditation. We don't want to meet just the, the minimum of a national equivalency of how many hours a student is in a classroom or uh, what, the, what the, uh, the program outcomes ought to be on a national level. We want to exceed that. We're, we're here to do our best. We're here to, to, to be excellent, not just okay, right? So same is true here in, in, in this understanding that whatever the law is, uh, that may not be what God expects, right? Uh, I mean, these are, these are unsafe people making these laws. And uh, most of them have little regard for morality and those kinds of things. So, uh, again, let's, let's make sure that we're honoring the Lord. Proverbs 5 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. His own iniquity shall take the wicked himself, and he shall be holden with the cords of his own sins. Uh, Ephesians 5 speaks to this as well. Be therefore followers of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice uh, for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication, all uncleanness, covetousness, let it be not once named among you as become a saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather given of thanks. So, so God's got some items there in his law, doesn't he? And while we would look at some bullet points in the law of California, uh, God has some bullet points there that are not to be named among us. They're not to be a part of our lives. 1 Timothy 4, Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, conversation, charity, spirit, faith, purity. Giving no offense, Paul said, in anything that the ministry be not blamed. We never want to, through our actions, bring the ministry into a poor light of those that need our ministry and then abstain from all appearance of evil. So those are cardinal commands that I think should guide us, certainly whether your state has a law or not, uh, whether there's something that you're um, accountable to on a legal level or not. Uh, those are things that God has written for us that are helpful. Now, number three, a critical conduct. Biblical leadership is described as follows. Uh, 1 Peter 5, Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. So biblical leadership is never by constraint. Um, we cannot demand people follow us. Right? God's given us a free will. Uh, people have the right to choose. God encourages us to choose life rather than death, choose blessing rather than cursing. But he leaves the choice with us. And as leaders in ministry, we re recognize that we cannot um, regulate 
uh, a person's morality. We cannot make enough laws to make him conform to what we want. Uh, so leadership is not by constraint. Biblical leadership never demands something in return. The quid pro quo. Um, you, you should not be leading by, if, if, if you do a good job on this, maybe you'll get a raise. Right? That's quid pro quo. This for that. Um, if you stop acting this way, maybe we'll do that. You know, whatever. Be careful about that. That's not the proper motivation of leadership. Um, and then thirdly, biblical leadership is to be exemplary rather than authoritarian. God's, God's placed you in a place of leadership. Um, look at that very humbly and realize that your example counts a whole lot more than what you say. My dad, who was in my opinion, the best Christian I ever knew. My dad never said, and, and we were farmers, we, we, we uh, had dairy farm, milk cows every morning, 4 o'clock in the morning, and, and I remember as a 5-year-old trudging out to the barn with my dad at 3.45. But my dad never said, get to work. Never. My dad never, never said to me, get to work. He would always say, let's go work. A big difference in leadership. And, and my goal as a kid was to outwork my dad. I, I mean, that was my goal every day, see if I could work harder than he was, than he could work. I wanted to get more done than he'd get done. I didn't, didn't do it as well as he did. <laughs> I just tried to be faster. Uh, my, dad, my dad would take a 20-minute nap after, after lunch every day. I hated it. I, I'd say, Dad, we got work to do. What are you taking a nap for? <laughs> I understand it now. <laughs> You know, 60 minute nap after lunch, but I'd just be happy if I had lunch. But anyway, uh, you know, the point was that my, my dad never, never said, hey, go do that, go do this. You know, it was always, let's go do. And, and I think in, in ministry, that has helped me to understand that, that I'm not just to be an authoritarian and say, hey, get this done, get that done, you need to do this, and here's your list. And because I don't want to, number one, micromanage everybody, but secondly, I, wa- I want to invest with them. As Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And uh, so, again, I think that's important uh, for us in our conduct as leaders. Let it be, there are no exceptions for improper conduct. As I said before, to, to, to kind of pass this off as, well, I, was, I, I didn't mean it, or I was just kidding, or you took that wrong, or, you know, there's, there's no exceptions here. Good intentions Personal preferences, joking, kidding around, or even our biblical convictions do not give us a pass for improper conduct. God sees people through a single lens. Let us see. We are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither bond nor free, there's neither male nor female, but we are all one in Christ Jesus. So remember that, that volunteer that's coming to uh, you know, babysit the kids while others go soul winning is just as important as the person who gives the soul winning lesson, right? Because God looks at all of us individually and, and recognizes our individual work, and uh, we certainly need to do the same. Now, letter D, the law protects harassment based on, and uh, look at these carefully. Religion, race, color, national origin. These are, these are listed in the information California has for us. Sex, sexual orientation, gender, gender identity, gender expression, mental disability, physical disability, medical conditions, Military, veterans, marital status, age, genetic characteristics, and ancestry. Now, you probably don't like that list real well. You know, there's some things on that list we go, ah, I don't agree with that list. Well, whether you agree with it or not, that's what the state of California has stated as um, protecting against Now, three of these, sexual orientation, gender identity, gender expression, cause those of us as Bible believers some anxiety. 
careful definitions in our Constitution, our bylaws, our ministry policies can protect us from the hiring of individuals who violate a scriptural requirement. The law allows ministry organizations to hire slash terminate positions based on their statement of faith. That's, that's helpful. That's very important because the law would protect somebody from being questioned about their gender expression. They could turn us in if, if we said, hey, you can't do that here. You can't use the men's restroom. You're a lady, right? If we, if we said that to a, an employer or somebody working under our ministry, it would be probably logical that we'd say that. Well, we can, the law allows us to state in our constitutions, our bylaws, our ministry policies. Hopefully you have some. You, you've got to have documentation, right? And so I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a legal expert on this. You need to contact somebody like CLA or whatever if, if you feel like your constitution is weak in these areas. Several years ago, we, we went through our constitution and, and changed some things with respect to, you know, what marriage is. And, 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 and we adopted those same things right into our uh, West Coast Baptist College um, uh, uh, doctrines because, you know, we have to get more specific. We always just assumed everybody knew marriage between a man and a woman, but that, that, you can't assume that anymore. So if you just say, we believe in marriage, well, okay. <laughs> so now you have two men that are married come to your Sunday school class and you say, no, you can't be in here. They're going to turn you in unless it is specifically stated uh, in your constitution what marriage is. Um, and again, so your constitution, your bylaws, and then what's important in this context perhaps is those ministry policies. And uh, I, don't, I don't know if your church has those, but I would strongly suggest, and I know some of you are college students and some of you maybe are, are lay people in your church, but if, 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 you, if you, your church has to have some ministry policies and get them in writing, have people sign them. Uh, we, 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 have, we have a book of policies. I don't know how many policies we have in England. I, I, I'm sure it's two, three hundred policies over the years that have developed. I remember when I came, they didn't have any. I didn't sign nothing when I came. <laughs> you know, hey, just get to work, you know. Uh, but uh, over the years, we, we've added policies. Seems like every year at our staff advance where we meet our new staff and welcome new in and we go through some orientation and training, there's always a, a stack of some new policies, things that we need to look at as, as older employers, uh, employees, as new employees, that, that are, these are things we're going to have to enact uh, just to protect us all and, and to keep the ministry in the right direction. And so you need to have some policies with respect to um, who, who, you know, what are the standards of a bus worker or whatever? What are the policies there? Um, the more that you get in writing, the more protected you are. And the law is going to look at that um, with, with a lot of grace, so to speak, uh, if, if you have some things written down. So that list is a little intimidating right there in the middle. It gets a little touch and go with us because we have some biblical convictions about some of those things. But we can, for lack of a better word or phrase, cover ourselves or protect ourselves by good constitution, bylaws, and ministry policies. Um, letter E, the impression of our ministry. Setting the workplace aside, our ministry must communicate to our community. Letter A, God loves all. So regardless of your policy about sexual orientation or sexual expression, hey, God loves those people. We heard some things about that this week, haven't we? Look, no matter how the world expresses itself sexually or in, in whatever other way, God loves those people. As Pastor said this morning, we got some, we got some interesting people here in California. I mean, <laughs> it's, uh, it's mind-boggling sometimes uh, to realize people want to live th these kinds of ways, but they have a soul, and they have worth, they have dignity uh, as a human being. If we deny that, we're denying our own human dignity, our own human worth. So we've got to communicate, even though we, we're going to have some policies, we're, we're going to have some maybe uh, strict guidelines with respect to how we act here, that world needs to understand we love you, and you're welcome to come to our church. 
and we're not going to discriminate against you or we're not going to uh, you know, put you down or make fun of you. We want you to be saved. You, we want you to know our Savior. So we got to communicate to the culture that God loves everyone, John 3.16. Then Christ died for all. He didn't leave anybody out. Uh, he didn't die for just those that are normal like me. <laughs> he, he died for everybody. And so, again, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15, that he died for all. And then we're commanded to reach all. Uh, God didn't say, go, therefore, and, and uh, reach those that you uh, identify with or that you appreciate, but we're to reach every single person. Um, one of the statements I make in an ethics class, you know, God commands us to love, but that doesn't mean we have to like. You can love without liking. You can love a person without liking them. I don't like what most of this community does. I don't like people that roll through stop signs without stopping. I don't, I don't like people who get drunk and, and T-bone people at intersections. I don't like people that use drugs. I don't, I don't like people that are, that are uh, sexually, uh, 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 you know, running around doing all kinds of things that way. But I'm still to love them. I'm commanded to love them for Jesus' sake. God loved me while I was yet a sinner. So we're commanded to love. It doesn't mean we have to like the way they live. Uh, our message can change that. Uh, so they've got to know that, that we want to reach all. And then the local church must be a place where any and every kind of person can come and hear the truth and have their lives transformed by the power of the gospel. And I think we, we understand that. So in the workplace, we're going to have some guidelines, some policies. We're going to subscribe to the laws and so on. But in the midst of all that sort of rigidness for us, we've got to be careful that we don't communicate that same rigidness to a world that, that needs Christ. So number four, a credible care. First, we have a serious responsibility. An organization can be held responsible for harassment by individuals in the workplace if the leadership knew or should have known Harassment was taking place. So the, the, the court's going to look at, well, when, where did this happen? How often did it happen? How in the world did nobody see that? They should have known that. Somebody should have heard that. If it was happening in an office area, if it was happening in a classroom setting, you know, there's no way that no one heard that, no one saw that, um, especially today with everybody being a movie producer with their phones and so on. So, uh, again, the law is going to look at uh, a ministry being responsible. Uh, first of all, if you knew something was happening and you did nothing about it. Secondly, if you should have known. So, again, that's really broad, uh, but, but the law is going to treat it that way. So a careful procedure. First, if you are being harassed, what is, what is the victim supposed to do? Let's say someone is making fun of them or someone is uh, uh, offering a quid pro quo. Hey, if, if, if you'll uh, give in to my sexual desires with you, I'll give you a raise. Uh, certainly happens in the world. Doesn't mean it can't happen in the workplace of a ministry. So what does that person do? Number one, say something immediately. Say something immediately. Again, the court is going to look at that. Uh, we've seen a number of cases in our culture recently where people come out, you know, 14 years later and, you know, say something, and it doesn't have quite the same credibility, does it? In your mind, you're thinking, ah, yeah, you're probably just saying that now because other people said something and got some money or, you know, and so you're thinking, is this really credible? So immediately, if something is not right, you must say something immediately. Tell the harasser to stop, okay? If someone is... It's creating a hostile work environment. They're, they're keeping you from getting your work accomplished by harassing you or, or saying unkind things about you. Tell them to stop. Normally, that takes care of it. Um, if they know that you're not reciprocating, you're not appreciating it, uh, etc. So uh, ask them to stop. Inform your team leader, whoever is over you. Now, that may be the pastor, but that, that could be an administrator in the school. It could be the bus captain. It, you know, uh, whoever is next up in line, let them know, okay? If the team leader is the offender, then inform the pastor. Um, 
if if the uh, if the um, the violator is the pastor, then that's a little bit different story. I'll say something about that in a minute. Get help from anyone up the chain of command. Whoever is that next person up, we we have organizational charts here. Um, we spend a lot of time putting those together, and one of the reasons is we want people to know who they're accountable to for their work, but also who they can go to and, uh, you know, get some help or, in this case, uh, file a complaint. We do that with our students. We have student government officers. We have uh, a complaint form. We have things where students can know uh, that if, if there's something going on, they know who that person up the line. It might be a room leader. It might be a dorm soup. It, it, it might be the dean's office, it, it, you know. But whoever they can find that's next up, get that information to them immediately, okay? Number two, if you witness harassment, report it to your team leader immediately. If that person is unavailable, let your HR department or your pastor know. Um, if you have a human resources department, uh, let them know. Uh, and then if, if, if that department does not exist in your ministry, then uh, the pastor. Uh, intervene if it is safe and appropriate to do so. Try to intervene in the situation. Uh, if you're seeing something going on that's not right, okay, intervene. Take some steps to stop uh, that, that action uh, if it's appropriate to do so. Number three, what should happen if harassment is reported? What, what should take place? Let's say someone does feel like uh, they're a victim of something here and they report it. Now, what do I do with that? Or what does that team leader do with that? A prompt and thorough investigation should be done by the team leader or pastor. I mean, whatever you got planned tonight, it's not happening. This has to be done now. This can't wait till tomorrow morning. This can't wait till you get back from your vacation. This can't wait till the game's over right now. Prompt action. Again, the court is going to look at the duration of time. And the longer you wait, the, the more obstacles you're going to have in defending uh, your ministry or that person. The accused party should be given the opportunity to share their perspective of the events under investigation. Someone who is making the complaint should be able to come to that team leader or whoever uh, is handling this case whether it's HR, whether it's the team leader, whether it's the pastor, whoever it is, they need to listen to the complaint in, in totality. And, you know, as, as the team leader, you might think, this is bogus, this, this didn't happen, good night, you know. But, again, did you listen to the complaint? Did you receive the complaint? And this is important, you know, for our our, in our college setting with students and so on. Did we, did we listen to the complaint? Did we receive it? What did we do about it? And we have a whole process to document that. that that's very, very important. Um, then any relevant witnesses should be interviewed. If, if other people heard or other people were involved. Now, again, you want to keep this as small as possible. You don't want your whole ministry affected immediately by an accusation. So, you know, as they're giving the complaint, a, a question there too, was anybody there? Uh, who else was around? You know, and, and then you want to get, obviously, some, some other testimony as the Bible would command two or three witnesses in a case of an accusation. So uh, that, that information is important to gather. And then these situations are rarely completely confidential, but make the effort to involve only those directly involved. Uh, again, we're trying to protect people's testimony here. As I said, people can lie, too, and a reputation can be ruined, and so we're trying to protect there. Also, we're trying to protect the victim. Uh, he doesn't need everybody asking questions and, you know, hey, what happened, you know, and so on, and then the gossip, the uh, you know, mill gets going, and so we're trying to not keep it small in the sense of hiding it, sweeping it under the rug, but keeping it small so that it does not affect uh, the ministry, as much as we possibly can help that. So, again, what's important here is promptness, uh, dealing with it immediately. I'm thankful that in the college, um, I'm kind of up the chain a little bit, but I'm thankful for some people that are 
kind of directly under me who, who received these initial complaints, maybe from a student, maybe it's written, it's, it's sent in, um, and maybe it might even be anonymous at that point. But, but they let me know right away because action needs to be taken. Um, number four, what consequences should follow proof of harassment? What if we prove that something did happen? Uh, what do we do? These are highly dependent upon the severity of the harassment, but all are predicated on the assurance that harassment stops. So you bring the person in who's accused, and they admit, okay, yeah, I said that, or yeah, I was inappropriate there, um, yeah, there was physical contact, what, you know, whatever, whatever it is, there's an admission of guilt, all right? So what steps do you take? First of all, a verbal warning. Okay, this can't happen. Uh, this was a violation of this person, uh, of this situation, of policy, whatever it is, and so a verbal warning. Um, a written reprimand, and that should be filed in their file as an employee or a volunteer or a contractor, whatever the case might be. Um, a file should be opened and uh, a written document placed there of the situation. Uh, it could lead to an unpaid suspension. Uh, it might be that more investigation has to take place. We can't get to all the facts just yet. Um, we're not, we've got to interview some other people, but this is severe enough that right now you're, you're, you're on an unpaid suspension. Um, we, we, we've got to get to the bottom of this. Um, fourthly, it could lead to a demotion, taking them out of a, a certain ministry role perhaps, and uh, certainly could lead to termination. Now, again, all this depends on the severity of the offense and predicate on the fact that this person has stated, I did it. Okay, this isn't like there's an accusation, we can't prove it, so now we're going to fire them. Uh, you can't do that. You gotta, you gotta, there's there's got to there's gotta be admission that, yes, uh, this happened, I'm guilty, and so now we determine what is the appropriate punishment here. Now, retaliation by the accused is not allowed by the law. So let's say this person comes in, he says, yeah, it happened, and I'm sorry, and I'll apologize, and uh, you know, I appreciate the warning and, and all these things, and we say, okay. That person then cannot retaliate uh, back to the person who accused them. Uh, they cannot retaliate through a job or a benefit loss. Uh, they cannot terminate, transfer, schedule change, or loss of opportunity. Uh, give them a poor performance review. We do performance reviews on all of our employees once a year. Um, and uh, you can't, you know, kind of harbor that in your mind, say, well, they accused me of something, so I'm going to give them a bad score, so maybe, maybe, the, maybe, the, maybe they'll leave. Uh, certainly rumors, gossip, stonewalling, all those, those are the words they use uh, in the law. Now, ministry never gets a pass in these areas because it's ministry. There's no sweeping things under the rug. There's no, hey, let's not mention this. Um, we've got to deal with it. Now, again, we're, we're trying to keep it as small as possible, but there's no, there's no hiding it. And again, Matthew 18 gives us the process of going to them individually, taking one or two more with us, and then dealing with it if they're unrepentant. Allegations and accusations demand action on the part of someone who is in a position to stop the harassment. So it's the last thing you need at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, right? Uh, it's the last thing you need in your evening while you're having dinner with your family. It's the last thing you need on the weekend or when you're, you know, trying to enjoy some, some downtime or whatever. But the point is, you, you've got to act immediately on this. It's, it's not going to go away uh, by ignoring it. Here's some concluding cautions. Number one, develop some policies and training. Develop some policies and training. And again, I'm not an expert on this. Everything I'm giving you, I've, I've had to study in the last couple of years. Um, and again, the laws may differ, for, differ in your area. I would certainly consult with some legal advice as well with respect to some of your policies or constitution, bylaws, things of that nature. But, but if, if you're not aware of, uh, of your church having any policies or your ministry not having policies, you should speak to someone a little higher up than you or whatever, or if you're the highest up, you need to, you need to get some policies. And I know our ministry would be happy 
to share some sample policies, how they're written, how we lay them out. They're not lengthy and place to sign. And, and again, these things can be very helpful uh, in a court of law if, if you're to get into a situation. When harassment cases reach litigation, the court will focus on whether reasonable steps were taken to prevent discrimination, harassment, retaliation. And the word reasonable is used a lot. So when we saw that this was going to be required by the state of California, what did we do? All right, we're going to make some videos. We're going to provide some training. Brother England watched the training. When he watches videos, he speeds them up like seven times faster than because than, he's got a mind that can do that. Uh, sometimes I'll speed it up twice as fast. I don't know whether they heard it all or not, but at least I provided it, right? The ministry has provided it. And so we can say to the law, look, they were required to watch this. That's our policy. They said they watched it. They did the test. They got the right answers, you know, whatever. You know, maybe they cheated, but we, we went through the process. The court's going to look at that very, very carefully. Did you do due diligence to keep this from happening? Damage to the ministry can be lessened when there is proof of proper policy, training, reporting, and investigating. So, again, document everything. Boy, this is where you, I hope you document even your counseling, uh, because all these things can be part of the record uh, in, in litigation. The victim is responsible for following policies and procedures and reporting the incident immediately. Again, the law is going to look at that very carefully. They come and say, hey, this happened five years ago. The law is going to kind of go, you don't, you don't have a case here. You know, or, you know, they're going to look at it with less urgency. But if this happened, you know, this morning and it's been reported, you know, they're going to, they're, they report it right away. So let people know that if, if something isn't right, to get it, get it immediately. And doesn't the Bible teach that? I mean, the Bible says when we sin, agree with thine adversary quickly whilst thou art in the way. Uh, so uh, the quicker you deal with the knot in your shoelace, the less knots you'll have. Knots have babies. If you leave them in your shoelace, they, they grow and they multiply. Um, the avoidable consequences doctrine in the state of California protects the ministry when the victim does not follow the policies and procedures that have been taught. So there is a clause there that protects us if the victim did not follow the procedures that were taught uh, in the videos or in the training. Then the failure to mitigate damages law protects the ministry when the victim should have spoken up sooner, and sooner is always immediately uh, in litigation. How do you handle a complaint? Uh, this, this, you may have people come to you and say, hey, this happened on the bus or this happened at the youth activity. Well, what do you do? Okay, number one, thank the complainant for coming forward and doing the right thing. You don't want to say, you don't want to make fun of them. You don't, you don't, you don't, you don't say, uh, come on, quit, quit joking around. No, thank them for coming forward. That's going to be vital later. Number two, recognize it's not easy to make a complaint. And, and so thank them. Say, I know this isn't easy. I know you're not trying to get anybody in trouble here. Uh, thank you for letting us know. Number three, have prayer with a complainant that the situation can be resolved. Get the spiritual part of this going, right? Make sure, make, let them know that you're going to deal with this on a spiritual level, and that's first and foremost to us in the ministry. Number four, affirm the ministry's commitment to policy. Typically, this person is going to complain based on policy. What you have in your policy. Hey, this person broke the policy. And so affirm with them, we're going to follow the policy. Uh, we're not going to follow, well, that person has tenure or that person is my best friend. No, we're, we're going by policy here. We're going to go by the book. Uh, when we deal with students sometimes, I don't want to know the name of the student. What's, what's the violation? What's the policy? Make a decision. Now, who's the student? You're going to be a lot more objective if you do it that way, right? Because, again, we, we, we can get in the way here of this. So, again, that's not always possible. It doesn't always happen that way, but that's the way I'd prefer it to happen, okay? Um, and then uh, commit to this complainant a thorough, prompt, and fair investigation with appropriate corrective action along with an assurance of confidentiality. So let them know, I'm going to deal with this tonight. I'm going to call them as soon as you leave. Uh, I'm going to have them come in. I'm going to hear their side of the story. I'm going to document everything. I'll get back with you. In other words, lay it out there the way you're going to handle it. 
and then explain the next steps. Let them know when and how they'll be contacted in this process. Uh, I'll try to deal with this tonight. Uh, hopefully, I can get a hold of them right away. And if I know something, you know, by 8 o'clock or whatever, I will, I will contact you or uh, first thing in the morning, whatever, after I do my investigation. Let them know when they can expect to hear from you. So they know you're not just kind of trying to get rid of it or cover it up. Here's the don'ts of handling a complaint. Don't dismiss the complaint, saying it didn't happen, there are no witnesses, that's just the way that guy is. Don't do that. Number two, don't send them to someone else. Do your job. If you're the next person up in the chain and there's nobody else available, you got to deal with it. If there's somebody you can pass it on to up the chain, fine, great, but, but do your job. Number three, don't excuse yourself from taking action because of other responsibilities. It's easy for me to say, well, I got to go teach a class or, you know, I, I got to go do this. We got to pass this off to somebody that can deal with it. In my case, I might be able to hand it off to HR or to pastor or whatever, uh, but do the job. Don't delay. Number five, don't forget about it. And number six, don't fail to ensure the complaint is being investigated. And number seven, don't fail to follow up with the victim. Letter D, what should you do if you are accused? What if you're the one that's being accused? Number one, cooperate with the investigation. Cooperate. Number two, understand there may be temporary or permanent consequences. There may be some temporary suspension, whatever. Understand that. It may be all untrue, but understand that we got to get to the bottom of it. Number three, do not do anything that could be construed as retaliation against the alleged victim or witnesses. That's going to hurt you. Number four, do not destroy any evidentiary documentation or create documentation unless directed by HR. Number, number five, don't, don't, don't use bleach bit on your phone. Number five, do not discuss the investigation with other coworkers on the staff. Uh, keep this, again, you're protecting yourself, protecting the ministry. Finally, ministry leaders must, number one, remember that ministry is a stewardship of people's lives. Those lives have been entrusted to us by God. Number two, establish and then support all policies and training. Number three, model proper behavior. And number four, provide appropriate support for all those in the ministry who are following policy and procedure. Thank them for it. Compliment them for it. Um, you know, we, we bring up policies a lot. Holding a position. This is an anonymous quote. Listen to this carefully. Holding a position of authority over others yet not living in submission to God in our own hearts breeds a dangerous lack of accountability in our souls. We should be alarmed if we hear ourselves giving good advice that we no longer personally heed. So that's a good word to the wise to close on. Well, I know this wasn't the most, man, I can't wait to get home and do this uh, session, but I hope something there may be triggered uh, a thought or two. And uh, if, if I can answer a question here at the end, I'd be glad to. And just to state the obvious, you said nothing about sexual abuse claims, right? Yes. Totally yeah. Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. All right. I'll be here if you have any personal questions or whatever. Yes? Uh, I was going to make a comment. Sure. Actually, you made a statement that California passed this law. Actually, six other states have passed it as well. Okay. Did you Google that while I was teaching? I did. Students do that all the time. People do that when I preach. And uh, so. Well, I'm in HR, and I know that some of my sure. states have that law, so yeah. I just wanted to see. Appreciate that. Yeah, and it's, it's going to come to all 50, I'm convinced of it. So uh, if you can get ahead of that game, you know, and have some things in place before it becomes a law. And, and you know, the Bible's pretty good at laying out how it should be, so. Here, we've not had anything here uh, that I'm aware of. Now, again, I'm not all the way at the top as far as the church would be concerned, but as far as I know, on our staff or with volunteers, we, we've had, obviously, bus children and things might, you know, uh, make an accusation or something like that, uh, that that we would have dealt with that I wouldn't know about. But as far as the staff, we've, we've not had anything like that. Against those modules, are they available? Um, you could check with our HR on that. I, I would hope not. <laughs> uh, just, 
I get in trouble with everything they put on YouTube around here. I get, I get emails three years later, like, you're an idiot, you know, whatever. So uh, I, don't, I don't know uh, whether they would, would share that or not. Um, so I'll let... Uh, that would be uh, Julianne Atherton. Yeah, you could check with Brother Hobbs as well, but uh, Julianne is our HR director. We have, I think, three people in that office, but she would be our HR director. And you, you could certainly check with them. And again, if she says yes, then, then I, she's higher up the ladder than I am. I just want to thank the Lord for giving you guys wisdom to do this stuff and to share this with us. Thank you very much. I appreciate much. it. Thank the Lord for that. My first response when we were told this, that the college needed to have some sexual harassment training, this was several years ago now, my first response was, well, Dr. Gibbs comes out to preach. Let's have him meet with our staff and let's have him go through this. And uh, they didn't do it. <laughs> and so they didn't take my advice. And so... Uh, so I, I tried, uh, you know, and so I kind of got roped into it. Like I say, this is certainly not my expertise. This lady probably would have done a better job of, of this presentation than I could because she's living in it, working in it, and uh, ask her questions. But uh, appreciate you. All right, let you get to lunch.